Go ahead and go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. How did you start there? Did you fall asleep back there? Okay, just making sure. Alright, Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to go ahead and start reading in verse 1. And it says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle... Uh, made the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, <clears throat> which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the table of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. So right here, just kind of a reminder of what's going on in the last two verses of chapter 8, um, he, or in the last verse, he said, in that he said, a new covenant he hath made the first old. And that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. We looked last week at how the new covenant was better than the old covenant. It had better promises, better you know, uh, high priest. It was just better across the board. So then he goes back and in, in chapter 9 here. He's just kind of reminding them of the old ways. He's reminding them of the old tabernacle and kind of how things worked in that tabernacle. And you'll remember in the Old Testament how God had him pitch that tent. And inside that tent, they had things like the table of showbread and the candlestick and all those things that was known as the holy place. And then they had that second veil that it mentions in there. And behind it was the holy of holies, as we call it. And that was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And then, of course, it, later they built the temple uh, that was a fixed structure. That, and that's where, remember, of course, when Jesus died, and we might say a little bit more about this lately, remember what happened? The veil of the temple rent. And we'll probably say more about that uh, when we get later into the message. But he's reminding them of the first tabernacle. He's reminding them of the old way of doing things. And all those things that he mentioned in there, that was the way to do things, wasn't it? That was the holy place. It was the holy of holies. It was something that was very special. It was something that was very sacred. But you know what? Now it's time to move on. It's time to cross Jordan. It's, try, it's time to enter into his rest. It's time to go to the next stage. And that's what he's been teaching them throughout the book of Hebrews. And he's reminded those things. And so at the end of chapter 8, you know, he mentioned that old, it's, it's vanishing away. It's done. And it, it does not exist anymore. And that's why there's really no such thing, you know, as, well, you know, there is such thing as a Jew, but it's one who's one inwardly, not one who's one outwardly. And for anybody to take what the Jews are doing or the so-called Jews are doing over there in Israel and to even call that Judaism is an absolute fraud. Okay? Because of the fact that that vanished away. They don't believe the Old Testament. They don't believe the Old Covenant. They're not doing those things right. That old way does not exist anymore. So then what are those people? I'll tell you what those people are. They are Antichrist. Okay? They believe in another Christ. And eventually, they're going to try to build a temple. And when they do, the Christians are going to get all excited about it. They're going to think it's a great and wonderful thing. Many Christian people today support the Temple Mount Institute. 
trying to help them build the next temple. And they, and Christians today, they do it to, and a lot of it's just pure ignorance. In their minds, they're thinking they're going to help, you know, the rapture come. Because they think all those things that take place, you know, in prophecy, they're not going to be here for it. So they're anxious for those things to happen. But boy, if these old ladies that are giving money to that only knew what they were getting themselves into. And chances are they'll probably croak off before things get, you know, get to that point. And that's not fair there, but they're just setting things up to be bad for the rest of us. And that's what the previous generation has done to us, haven't they? I mean, they set us up for failure. We are the first generation, not just in Christianity, even in our country. You know, they've been saying, you know, we're going to be the first generation to leave things worse for the next generation. And that has already happened when it comes to religious things. We were failed big time by the last generation. And so those things, they're gone, they've vanished away. What's there today is just, it's Antichrist. We are a continuation of what went on in the Old Testament. I've said that many times, and that is the case. We are, we are a continuation of it. And we, we got grafted in with the Jews, with the real Jews, with the believers, and the Israel that is today, the so-called Jews of today, are a fraud and a lie. And so look what it says in verse 8. It says, um, the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So right here, these verses, it's showing that during the time of the first tabernacle, the way into the holiest had not been revealed yet. Okay, it's the Holy Ghost, this signifying, he was teaching them something through those things, all those commands that God gave them, all those ordinances, all those customs, you know, routines, all of those things were a shadow of what was to come. And it says here, you know, it was signified that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Right? There's a lot of things that there's a lot of things that we know about that they didn't know about in the Old Testament. And many people will try to take something like this, and this is where they start teaching the multiple gospel junk. They'll start saying, you know, see, it wasn't made manifest. They didn't know. They didn't know about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Therefore, they got saved by another gospel. They got saved by faith plus works, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to show you how that's ridiculous. And how this passage proves that everybody got saved by the same gospel. Everybody who's ever going to heaven is by the work of Jesus Christ. But those old ways, they never saved anyone, but they were a picture of what would save them. Look what it says in verse 9 which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Okay? Those things they were doing back then, it's very clear in this passage, it couldn't make them perfect. It couldn't save anybody. It wasn't fixing them. It wasn't taking away their sins. The, the, that sacrificial lamb, that shedding of the animal's blood did not take away sin. So then what did take away sin? Well, it was the blood of Jesus Christ that took away their sin. And their faith that they had, their, their trust in God, the fact that they believed God, 
it is what saved them. And they showed their faith by killing animals, by sacrificing things, which was, a, which was just a picture of what was going to really save them. Okay? That sacrificial lamb, it did not save them, but what it was a shadow of, or what it was a, it was a picture of, would save them. And what was it a shadow of? What was it a picture of? Of Jesus Christ. And many of those things that they did, it's real obvious with that, without going back and looking at all of them, that those things were a picture of the death of Christ. And all over the Old Testament, you can see examples, and we've looked at a lot of these in, in previous chapters. We're not going to do it again. It just There's many examples in the New Testament where it shows us the Gospel in the Old Testament. It uses Old Testament passages to refer to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, um, those, while those things weren't the real thing, they were a shadow of the real thing. And so, you could say what they had to believe in in order to be saved was the shadow. Okay? Now, keep that in mind. I'm going to get back to that a little bit to, to kind of help you describe that. But so, you know, um, so this doesn't mean there was another way back then. Okay? What saved these people was faith. And it was faith without works. And the Bible is very clear all over the New Testament. We're going to see that again in a couple of weeks. When we look at Hebrews chapter 11, okay, they were saved by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please them. No, God, nobody ever pleased God by their sacrifices, by those carnal ordinances. Those things didn't please God. It was their faith that pleased Him. It's the only thing that's ever pleased God. And so, the, you know, those things were a shadow of what would save them, and the, that was the work of Jesus. That work that the priest would do, it was a picture of the work that Jesus was going to do. Or as a shadow of what Jesus was going to do. And so their faith in the shadow was faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Okay? So for example, you know, kind of a way to illustrate this, you know, there are shadows, you know, that, that are kind of famous, you could say. All right? Can anybody think of, I'm thinking of a really famous shadow right now. Who's probably got the most famous shadow in history? I'm thinking television. You know who I'm thinking of, don't you? Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock, okay? Alright, now, so imagine somebody who's never seen Alfred Hitchcock, they have no idea what Alfred Hitchcock looks like, but they're familiar with the Alfred Hitchcock shadow, okay? Now, we've all seen that picture. I used to watch that old Alfred Hitchcock hour all the time. You see that part of the shadow, you know, and then he would kind of come walking up. You see him kind of come walking up and stand there, and then they'd have that little outline there. Y'all know it. I got the song playing in my head right now. But, um, you know, that shadow, okay, now, when you would look at that figure there, okay, if, I, if we saw that shadow on the wall right there, okay, you can see the shadow of the music stand on the wall right now. If all we could see was the shadow of Alfred Hitchcock, and we pointed at that, and I was like, hey, who is that? You know, you say, oh, that's Alfred Hitchcock. You know, you, re you recognize, but is it Alfred Hitchcock? No, it's just the shadow, okay? Have you ever seen a shadow and recognized the shadow? I hate to get all carnal with the TV stuff, but you know, remember on uh, Mary Poppins when Bert's there doing the chalk painting, and all of a sudden you see the shadow of Mary Poppins' head, and you know, oh no, that silhouette anywhere, you know, it's Mary Poppins. You know, we, you know, we would recognize that. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna recognize you can recognize certain shadows. Okay, and so when you see a shadow and you recognize it as something, 
Well, it's, you're not, it's not necessarily literally that person, but it's appropriate to call it that because you understand whose form that is or whose image that is of. And you could say, because the Bible teaches that those things that they did back then, it was a shadow. What was it a shadow of? It was a shadow of Jesus Christ. It was a shadow of the work of Jesus Christ. So if somebody has faith in the shadow, you could say that they've got faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, they, they only had to have faith in what was revealed to them. They had to have faith in what was manifest to them. And, and I'm going to give you another illustration later to kind of go along with this if, in case that's not real clear, to make it even more clear. But it is anybody who looks at those things that they did in the Old Testament, for us today especially, if we can't see Jesus Christ in that, something is wrong. And it's real easy for us. It's, I think it's even easier for us to see it because of the fact you know, we have a more clear image of Jesus Christ because we have the New Testament. But uh, even those people back then, because they were so familiar with the shadow, when they saw Jesus Christ himself, it should have been real obvious it was him. Just like that person, if you were real familiar with the shadow of Alfred Hitchcock and then you saw a side profile of Alfred Hitchcock, you'd be like, yep, that's him. And if these people... In the Old Testament, if they would have stayed focused on that shadow and paid close attention, and some of them did, you know, then they would have it made it so they would be able to recognize when the figure showed up of what that shadow was, and that was Jesus Christ. Does that all make sense? All right, try not to be confusing. That might not have been the most eloquent uh, presentation of that, but that's the best way I know to explain that. But let's keep going here. So you know, they had to have faith in what was revealed to them at that time. And so that's when, that's when the word dispensation comes in, all right? And dispensation is not a bad word just because it's been perverted by the dispensationalists, okay? God has dispensed a little more of his plan throughout time. And God's plan has always been Jesus Christ. The first part that he revealed to them was the seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan. Well, they just had to have faith in the seed of a woman. Well, that's not a whole lot of information. But if they had faith in that seed of the woman that was promised, then they could be saved. You know why? Because guess who that seed of the woman was? It was Jesus Christ. And if they would have, and as time went on, God would reveal more and more. And every and so yes, we know a lot more today than they did back in the Old Testament. But do you understand what we are looking back on is what they were looking forward to. And I do believe God expects more of us. Because of the fact more has been revealed to us. But in the end, what is it that gets us saved? It's not our works. It's our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And a lot more has been revealed to us than was revealed to them back then. So verse 10, you know, it says, "...which stood in only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation." Now this verse right here, you know, is another clear passage is showing what things were temporary. Okay? Because people, when you, we start bringing up a lot of things in the moral law, people, many times, they start, well, if we're going to go by that, you know, we should be eating pork and things like that, and we should be keeping the Sabbath, blah, blah, blah. Right here, it tells us very clearly specific things that we're not doing anymore. Okay? Why don't we keep the Sabbath anymore? Why don't we do the dietary restrictions anymore? Why don't we do the washings? Why don't we do the carnal ordinances? Why don't we do those things? Because those things were only a shadow of what was to come. Now we've got the real thing. Why would we 
go back to that. Okay. And, and a way, another way to kind of illustrate this too. All right. So let's just suppose. All right. You know, every every young man they wonder who they're going to marry when, when they get older. All right. But let's just suppose. All right. Let's just pretend right now that I had the ability to see the future. Okay. And I had the ability to reveal certain things to the young men in this church about their future wife. Okay. And I told them, all right, guys, you want to know who you're going to marry? Well, I can only show you so much right now. And all I show them is a shadow. All right? A silhouette. Now, most guys are going to pay attention to that, aren't they? You know, they're going to be checking out the shape of that shadow and everything. All right, what am I, what am I getting? And chances are, you know, they're going, to, they're going to be interested in that. And, you know, and what they would do, you know, they would probably do, you know, they, today, you know, they'd want a picture of that shadow. Why? They want to study that. They want to check out the shape and everything. And that way, when every time they meet a new girl, hey, does she fit this shadow? You know, is this her? I want to recognize her when she finally shows up, right? And let's say I give that young man, and so he's got that picture of the shadow. But then later, I say, all right, I'm ready to reveal the next part to you. And I'm going to give you a regular picture, okay? Where you can actually see what she looks like. And then, now, after they get the picture of the actual girl, they're probably going to lose the picture of the shadow, and now they're going to, you know, they had the picture of the shadow on their wall. Now, that's getting replaced by the picture of the actual girl. Why? Because you can tell a whole lot more there. Okay? It's It's a much better revelation. Okay? But the shadow was that same girl. That picture is that same girl. But then, eventually, it's going to get to the point, too, where, all right, now you get to meet her. You know, you get to marry her or whatever. And then you know what? Pictures aren't as big a deal anymore. Okay? I know this is, you know, my, my wife probably doesn't appreciate this, but I used to have a picture of her in my wall and stuff, you know, back when we were dating. You know, I used to have a picture, you know, in my room of her, you know, while we were dating. Now I don't. You know, oh, that's terrible. She's back there looking disappointed with me. But why? I got the real thing living with me. I don't really need the picture so much anymore. Okay? Now, I've got pictures on my phone and stuff for days when we're apart if I need to look at it or whatever. But at the same time, you know, why do I need to look at a picture when I've got the real thing right there? And in the Old Testament, they only had the shadow. Well, today, we've got, you could say, the color picture. And one of these days, we're actually going to have Jesus Christ Himself and we're actually going to be with Him. And then, you know, and then at that point, faith is no longer needed, is it? Why? Because we've got Jesus Christ right there with us. And that's why we sing in Lord haste today when our faith shall be sight. And so that shadow picture, I'm just saying that's temporary. Once we get the color picture, we're getting rid of that. And we're going to keep, you know, nobody's going to say, no, I would rather have the shadow picture than the full color picture. And, that, and those things that they did, those carnal ordinances, the dietary things, those weren't near as good as what we have, were they? Just like a shadow picture is not as good as a real color picture. And those things were finished, they were done, and we have moved on to better things. And so, uh, that's what that's talking about there. And it, and it was temporary, okay? Until, it says, until the time of Reformation. Okay? Well, what is the time of Reformation? Well, it, that was the time that the writer of Hebrews was trying to get the Jews to enter into. Okay? Where, the, the term Reformation, uh, let, me, let me read the definition to you. 
It means the act of reforming, correction, or amendment of life, manners, or or of anything uh, vicious or corrupt. So, for example, so basically, there's a change in how we do things. There's a change in how we operate things. Okay. And there was a huge change, wasn't there? We're not sacrificing things anymore. We're not doing the dietary stuff anymore. We are now ceasing from our labors. We are entering into His rest. We are going into a new era. It is the time of reformation. Those things were temporary. This is a new era. We're done with those things. And He's trying to... He's saying those things that you've been doing all your life, it was what you were supposed to be doing. But only until the time of reformation. And that time has come. Jesus Christ has come. Okay, The time of Reformation is not something that's still yet to come in the future. The time of Reformation already happened. And we've stopped sacrificing lambs. We've stopped doing the dietary things. We've stopped the keeping of the Sabbath. Those things were only a shadow. We've got something better now. And so we have, we have moved on. And so the time we are in the time of the new and the better covenant. Like you talked about last week. A time where Jesus is the high priest instead of an earthly high priest that is flawed. You know, it is a time of rest from our labors. A time of faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And it is a better time. And, you know, Reformation, you know, why did there need to be a correction? Because remember, the law of the Lord is perfect, but it said in Hebrews 9 that there was a fault. Okay, there was a fault in that old covenant. And the fault was not with God. The fault was not in His Word. The fault was with them. Why? Because they couldn't keep the law. And so we've got something better where the law was kept for us and it was kept through Jesus Christ. And thank God for that. Thank God that we are living in the time of the Reformation. It's a great thing. So look at verse 11. It says, But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify through the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So we see now, Jesus Christ is now what it's all about. There is no need for an earthly tabernacle. Okay? We don't have one today. We don't have uh, a Mecca that we need to go to. All right? there, there is no place like that. We don't take religious pilgrimages anywhere. Okay? I've been to I've been to you know Jerusalem. I've been to Israel, and it was a cool experience, but it was completely unnecessary when it comes to my walk with Christ. Okay, I'm glad I got to do it. I'd do it again if I could, but at the same time, it's not it's not necessary. You know, when, if if I had if I had the ability to go walk on the Temple Mount, I would do it. Okay, that area is pretty Muslim controlled. I don't think you can do that right now, but but if I could, I would. If they rebuilt the temple and they would let me, I would go visit the temple. I would go walk in there. I would look around. I would take pictures. And I would walk into the Holy of Holies if they would let me. I know they wouldn't let me. But I would walk into it and it would be a cool thing to see. 
you know, just in case they got it right, it would be a great experience. But I would be worried about it one bit. I wouldn't worry about dropping dead. I would, only, I would worry about getting shot because I know they wouldn't let me do it. But I'm just saying, if they would let me do that, if they found the Ark of the Covenant, I, I would go look at it. I would touch it. I would get my picture taken with it. And I would open it up. Once again, if they would let me. Indiana Jones. Yeah, and I don't think my face would get melted. All right? I would, I would see if the Ten Commandments were still in there. I would put my finger where God had put His finger. I, I, would, I would do all those things if, if I had the opportunity. And because of the fact, too, that that is not the holy place anymore. That is, that, that's not it. Okay? It's all about Jesus Christ right now. So I don't need... I don't need to worry about those things. And if they do, and eventually they are, eventually they're going to start rebuilding this temple. And all the Christians are just going to go ape. I'm telling you, the, the world's going to go nuts when they start building that temple. And it's going to be interesting because what I'm interested in seeing is are the pre-tribbers going to finally see the light when that, when that temple starts going up? I mean, you know, if that doesn't make them see the light, I don't know what's going to make them see the light. But... Uh, you know, chances are, you know, chances are they're they're so stubborn and so stupid. I mean, they will watch the Antichrist walk in there and do the abomination of desolation. Nope, that can't be it because we're still here. You know, I mean, they're they're gonna they're gonna say things like that. But uh, you know, once again, no, that that is not a holy place. There will be a lot of Christians that will respect that as this holy place. They will give it all kinds of honor. And they will talk about it like it's this, you know, like it's the holy place. They will give it all that great lip service. And people still do that kind of thing today. Christians do that today when they go visit the Wailing Wall. They act like it's this holy, sacred place. And they, you know, they put their hands and they're praying on the wall and everything like that. Now, when I went to Israel, you know, when I went to Israel, there's some places if you're going to go, they make you either wear those, they, they would make you wear those stupid paper things on your head because they have that custom. Well, I found out when I was there that a ball cap counts. And so I, I went and I, I don't normally wear it like wearing hats, but I bought a ball cap and I just started wearing that to all those places. All right. But at the same time, that was not me giving religious reverence to those things. That was me just, I wanted to go in there and see that stuff. And so I'll wear the hat. All right. I did not violate anything of my religion wearing a ball cap in holy places <laughs> or in places that they call holy. But they do. They worry about all that stuff. And even dumb Christians get caught up in that stuff. We don't need to worry about that. Jesus Christ took care of all those things. He is, the te- he is what matters. And so that's what this is ta- that's talking about there in verses 11 through 15. And then uh, look at verse 16. It says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead... Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. But that's talking about there a testament. It's kind of the word we use today. It's kind of like a will. Okay, if I write a if I write a will that you know when I die everything goes to this person, this person. That, if you want to get that stuff, I have to die before that comes. All right. Otherwise, it's of no effect. That's what it's talking about when it says for a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it of no strength at all. While the testator lives. So if I did, if I if I had some really cool possession, all right, if I had a really awesome car and I said I'm going to leave this to Brother Lonnie when I die, well, Brother Lonnie, you know, he might look at that car and think, man, 
I can't wait to get that thing. But, you know, as long as I'm alive, you know, no benefits. All right. You know, it, you know, you know, no claim on it. I got to die before you get anything. And so that's why that's kind of what that's talking about there. Then verse 18, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people, according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. So right here, what we're seeing, you know, the, the death of the testator, it was necessary because it was God's will that sin be paid for by the shedding of blood. Okay? That was what we see in that Old Testament, that sin is paid for by the shedding of blood. Well, we've got a problem because of the fact that one, man could, me shedding, you know, man shedding its own blood isn't going to do any good. Why? Because we're sinners. That's just us getting what we deserve. The, the killing of animals isn't going to help anything. It's not going to, it can't wash away sins. We're going to see that again later when we get to the book of Hebrews. And so what had to happen? Well, the one who gave that you know, testament, the one whose will that that was, okay, he ended up being the one that died. He ended up shedding his own blood and therefore the testament went into effect because of the fact that he died and because of the fact that he died, it was Jesus Christ that died, what did it do? It cleansed from all sins, didn't it? Took away all the sins and now we can claim, we can claim the promises. And so, uh, look at verses 18 through 20. And I'll say a little more about that. So it says, Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Turn back to Exodus chapter 27 or 24. Exodus chapter 24. This is important that we see this here, okay? And we've been continuing to do this every time we see a reference to an Old Testament Scripture. You've got to go back and look at it in order to understand everything. And it really helps us here. So in Exodus chapter 24, we'll start reading in verse 7. It says, And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord hath said will we do and be obedient. Okay? What's going on here? They're making a vow, aren't they? Why? Because the covenant's being made, right? And covenants require two people, right? And weren't there a lot of promises in that covenant? You know, behold, I say before you this day, a blessing and a curse, a blessing if you obey. You know, there's all these things that were in there. And notice that Israel's saying, you know what? We're going to be obedient. We're going to obey the words of this covenant. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Then went up Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel and there was under his feet as it were a paved work of sapphire stone and as it were the body of heaven in its clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Um, also they saw God and did eat and drink 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee the tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written that thou mayest teach them. Now, to make a long story short, okay, so I mean, this is an amazing thing that happens right here. I mean, Moses, Aaron, you know, the elders of Israel, they go and they see God. They, they see, this is, I believe, Jesus Christ back there in the wilderness when they see him in the mountain. Nobody's seen the face of God the Father, but this is God the Son that they're seeing right here. I mean, and it, amazing things taking place. They have just committed to keeping this covenant. They've just made a promise. So God says, okay. I'm going to give you these. I'm going to give you. I'm going to write down those ten commandments in the table of stone. I'm going to give these things to you. Well, if you just read, uh, you keep on reading. What eventually ends up happening before Moses gets down off the mount? They made a golden calf. I mean, it was in Exodus 20 when God actually told them the ten commandments. But before that, you know, God he puts it on the tables of stone before Moses is even able to come down off the mountain. Okay, less than 40 days, or about 40 days, after they have made this promise that they're going to keep this covenant, what are they doing? They are naked and worshiping a golden calf. So can you see why the old covenant didn't work? All right? The fault was not with God. Finding fault with them. They were the fault. They were the problem. And notice how when this covenant was made, it mentions how Moses took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people. And that was what's being talked about here uh, in verse um, 18, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. Okay, so it wasn't dedicated without blood. It was dedicated with blood. Moses took it and he sprinkled it on the people. When he had spoken every precept to the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and of goats and with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoin unto you moreover he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission so right there just kind of showing once again how in the old testament you know things were done by blood by the shedding of blood and therefore the blood of jesus christ had to be shed in order to complete that Old Testament and fulfill those things. And that is exactly what Jesus Christ did. Once again, just pointing things out to the Jews that what we are talking about is exactly what was prophesied. You know, while things are changing in a sense, you know, God's Word has not changed. God's Word still stands. God is keeping His Word. And you all, in following Jesus Christ, will be keeping the Word of God. You will not be going against the law of God. So Jesus Christ, though, He did the real work in heaven, okay? So you, we see, once again, all these things that they did. And, and, you know, let's just be honest. When you read through the book of Leviticus, all right, who gets bored sometimes? It gets a little boring reading some of these things. And, I, and you know, and it would be neat if we could, you know, if we could actually see these things. You know, and there's people out there that, you know, I, I just, I don't trust Jews today. All right. You know, everybody wants to go to the Jews to find out how this stuff, I, mean, I, I don't, I don't trust them to show the right way. All right. If they can't even, if, cause to me, here's one of the reasons too. you know, it, the best authority on how these things should be done, you would think would be the Jews at the Temple Mount Institute. Right. And they explained, I remember when we were there, they explained some things that, man, I was seeing Jesus Christ all over it. 
And maybe this has something to do with just the blindness that they have right now. But it's like, to me, if they started practicing those things, it should start screaming Jesus Christ to them. So the fact that they don't believe in Christ, it tells me they must not be looking at these things right. Or they must not be doing them right. Because I sure can't help but see those things and see Jesus all over it. Why can't they? And it's, and it's, it's because clearly they're blind. So why would I trust them? Okay? They might have some stuff right, but you know what? I would have to check it all out. And you know, I'm not going to spend a ton of time doing that because you know, it's just, it would be like me going back to you know, like one of these young men to looking at the picture of the shadow and studying it. Why do you need to study the shadow? You have the picture of what she actually looks like. Just focus on that. Okay? We, don't need to, we don't need to study all the details of the shadow anymore. You can if you want to, but I think, I think you're, you know, you'll, your time will be spent better looking at the clear picture in the New Testament, studying Jesus Christ. And so anyway, oh, where was I? So yeah, Jesus Christ, He did the real work in heaven that the work in the, you know, the, work in the tabernacle was only a shadow of. Okay? So verse 23, it was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these. Okay, with what? With those earthly things. With the earthly tabernacles. Okay, all those earthly things, they were just a pattern of the heavenly things. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that He should offer Himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must He often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. So what Jesus had to do, it was a one-time thing. If it would have been a yearly thing like the priests were doing, he would have been doing this every year since the foundation of the world. But he only had to do it one time. And, that, and I believe that's why it calls him the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay? That statement right there that we see in Revelation, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, is proof that that work of Jesus Christ, His blood He shed, is what saved everybody from Adam until whoever the last person is that's going to get saved. Okay? He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Was He slain? At the foundation of the world? Well, no, he was slain 2,000 years ago. But the promise of the Lamb slain was from the foundation of the, of the world. Okay? Because it's of the Word of God and because of the fact it was done in heaven. And I don't want to go back and you know, re preach the message a long time ago. But if it was done in heaven, where was that? Well, that's done outside of space and time, it's done in eternity. So, you know, don't try to make me make an earthly timeline line up with a heavenly timeline. Okay? Because there is no time in heaven. But I do know this, that what they would do in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, Testament was a picture, it was a shadow of what Jesus did in heaven. And don't ask me when He did it. Okay? Just ask me where He did it. He did it in heaven. Outside of space and time. And 
Once you figure that all out, you come talk to me. Alright? I, I, I don't think... I don't think I'll be hearing from you anytime soon. So, but this is why there's so many details in the book of Leviticus. And why God was so angry when they didn't do things exactly right. And I've never studied it. One of these days I need to do it. But that strange fire that Nadab and Abihu offered up. Why is that such a big deal? Alright, they didn't do it exactly right. Well, it mattered to God because it was supposed to be a shadow of what Jesus did in heaven. And it's just interesting how it calls that a shadow, okay? Because, you know, you know, have you ever you've seen the people that do the shadow puppets and things like that, all right? You know, and everybody's focusing on the shadow, right? But at the same time, you know, shadows, they're just shadows, okay? It's somebody else, somewhere else, you know, behind the light that's actually doing things, that's making the shapes, that's making it all happen. And it was God that gave them all these things to do. You know, you can kind of say, in a sense here, this just came to my head right now, so this, but... God is the light. Jesus is the one doing the work. And that light shines at Jesus. And then that shadow was the work that they did in the Old Testament. Uh, is that a good illustration? Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, I, but you, so you could say, when this is what was supposed to be happening. That work that they were doing in the Old Testament, okay, was to, you know, while all we could see was the shadow, it was supposed to be the very image of what Jesus Christ was going to do in heaven. And Jesus Christ did. He entered into the Holy of All in heaven. There is a Holy of Holies here on earth, but it was just an image or a picture of the one that's in heaven. And so Jesus Christ, He never entered into the Holy of Holies here on earth. He did it in heaven. But at the same time, what happened after He died on the cross? The veil was rent. Okay? Now, why did God do that? That was just show, that was because once again, that was a picture of what Jesus Christ was doing in heaven, showing that Jesus Christ went into that holiest of all, and there. And then, too, I think part of the reason He rent that veil is because it just it wasn't needed anymore. It, it, they they didn't need that. That was done. Okay, and so. Once again, the next temple, it's going to be a fraud. And there's not I mean, nothing holy about it. Okay? No, nothing, nothing special about it. Well, why did Jesus call it the holy place in Matthew 24? Because in Matthew 24, it was still the holy place. Okay? But it, it's not today. But if He's referring to something that takes place there, you know, you'd call it the holy place. Okay? Let's just pretend that one of these days, you know, 2,000 years from now, if the Lord chariot is coming, we were here another 2,000 years, there's a good chance that Rock Falls might not be called Rock Falls in 2,000 years. But if I was giving you a prophecy about something that was going to take place here, I'm not going to call it what it's going to be called in the future. I'm going to call it what it is now so you guys will know that I'm talking about this place. Okay? Y'all get what I'm saying there? I'm doing a lot of illustrations tonight that might be just confusing everybody. But I'm just saying that to say that the new temple is not holy. It is not a holy place. There's, not, there's nothing special about it. Except that Antichrist is going to do his thing there. And we're looking for it. We're watching for that. But anyway, so um, keep, keep losing my spot in the notes. So uh, verse 27, let's read the last two verses. It says, and, it is appoint, uh, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment... So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. 
So the context of verse 27 is that Jesus took our judgment for us. Okay? He, you know, it is appointed unto men once to die. Well, Jesus did that for us. He died on the cross for us. And after this, the judgment. You know, Jesus Christ, you know, He suffered our sin debt for us. He paid our sin debt on the cross. He died for us. And then He tasted death for us. He experienced literal death. In other words, you know, He died and went to hell for three days. He did that for us so we would never have to taste of death. I'm still going to die physically, but I'll never taste of death because I'll never go to hell because Jesus tasted that for me. I won't, I won't get even a sniff of that because Jesus did that for me. And so, you know, though, right now, we're waiting for His return. Okay? We have a New Testament. We have a New Covenant. And it's one that's between God. Like I mentioned last week, it's between God and Jesus Christ. And therefore... There is no sin that is going to need to be paid for. Why? Because those of us who are in Christ, you know, are those, that which is born of God sinneth not. Okay? This spiritual man that is inside of me, it's, it doesn't sin. Okay? My flesh still does. And that's why my flesh is going to die. But one of these days, Jesus Christ is going to change my vile body into one like His glorious body, and I will be able to go to heaven. And Jesus isn't going to have to die again because He took care of the Old Testament when He died on the cross. He paid for sins. And, those, and today, those of us who are of faith, we're all covered. He doesn't need to die again. That, sin, that death work that He did on the cross, it was enough for everybody before the cross and everybody after the cross. And so, you know, faith in the shadow, it was faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And just like, you know, just like those illustrations I gave with the shadow, you know, showing the young man a picture of the shadow and then showing an actual picture and showing the actual girl, okay, those things, uh, you know, that's kind of what, where we're at right now. Right now, we've got the picture. It's like we've got the color picture. We don't have a shadow anymore, but we've got a color picture because we've got the New Testament. But one of these days, we are going to get Jesus Christ in the flesh. And after that, who needs the picture? Okay, we'll be with Him. So we ever be with the Lord. And that's how it is with Old Testament times, New Testament times, and then finally at the rapture, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we finally get to see Him, that's what we have to look forward to. So basically what we see here in chapter 9 is just once again, He is just reaffirming to them that what you are doing and moving forward, this is something that you are supposed to do. All those things that you did before that you're wanting to hang on to, that you're trying to be loyal to, He's showing them from the Old Testament that those things were temporary and that Jesus Christ finished those things. We've got something better now. Don't stay focused on the shadow. Here's the real color picture. Take a look at this. Let's go off of this right now. Let's move on. And one of these days, for those of us who are looking for Him, He's going to appear that second time without sin unto salvation. And I, I like how it says this too. This is a good, you know, I'll show you one more thing in here. It says, And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Okay? Now, what is it the pre trippers try to teach? They try to separate the blessed hope from the second coming. 
They try to separate the blessed hope from the glorious appearing. But what does it tell us to look for right here? It's telling them, for those who look for Him, shall He appear. Okay? Well, that's not the glorious appearing. Well, what is it? All right, you know, you know, he's going to appear the second time. When he appears, that's the second time. Okay, so clearly it's the second coming. The second coming is the rapture. Now, the Rucktards would probably take this and say, "Who's this written to?" You know, because it's the Jews. But it's so clear in the whole book of Hebrews that this is not something that's written for tribulation saints. It was something that was written for them back then. And it's also clear too that that old covenant is something that was going to, it was vanishing away. And there is, was not supposed to be a new group of Jews to just spring up and you know be doing those old things again. That's done. And so that's another thing you've got to keep in mind and this chapter proves that what is going on in the name of Judaism today is just a complete and total fraud. And there's, there's nothing legit about it in any way, shape, or form. And it is, it is the only thing that's prof- even prophetic about it is the fact that it's Antichrist. And why would we be friends of Antichrist? And that's what these friends of Israel really are. They're friends of Antichrist. Aiding and abetting they believe in another Christ. They believe in a work salvation. That's called another gospel. We shouldn't even bid them Godspeed. But what is it that you know people and, and I know a lot of these people are well meaning, they're just ignorant. But it's all just about blessing the Jews, blessing the Jews, being nice to the Jews. And I'm all for giving the gospel to the Jews, but unfortunately, they're not real receptive and they get pretty insulted by it. But you know what? I would rather be loving and insult them than be hateful like they are. You know, and tell them what they want to hear. That, that, that's, a bunch, that's a bunch of garbage. And Hebrews 9 is more proof of that. So, anyway, with that, let's go ahead and we'll close the word of prayer. So, dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, uh, Lord, for just this uh, better covenants, the better promises, the better everything you've given. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to uh, you know, look at these things, Lord, and it will just excite us and, and uh, cause us to look forward to your return, Lord. I pray you'll help us to just get focused and study this picture, this color picture of you that you've given us in your word. And I pray that it will cause us to just get excited and looking forward to the day, Lord, when we are with you in person. And I thank you for your promises. In your name we pray. Amen.